0: I want you to open your Bibles in James chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be there, camping there most of the night. We're also going to be in Luke 11, so if you're the planner in the room, I know my wife is, if you want to put your fingers in both of those locations, James chapter 5 and Luke chapter 11. And it is doing everything, I, it's taking everything within me, not to begin with a dad joke, but I do want to say thank you, happy Father's Day. I saw something recently that said 90% of the world's problems would be fixed if we all just had great fathers. I really believe that to, to an extent. You know, of course, it doesn't fix everything. But, man, it sure fixes a lot of problems. And so I just look out in our congregation, and I'm so grateful of the many great dads. And I know a lot of us have, we're dads in all these sorts of different capacities. And just say Happy Father's Day to all the physical fathers, but also all the spiritual fathers as well. Uh, we honor you. We're grateful for you. I also read that a lot of times uh, Mother's Day messages are like, moms, you're awesome, you're the best. And Father's Day messages are, you're terrible, get your life together. And so we don't wanna do that. We wanna say, fathers, you're incredible, we love you. So we're continuing in our collection of talks called the Kingdom of Tribes. And I promise you, by the end of all this, we're still gonna be Baptist, okay? We're still Southern Baptist Church. I like to prefer us. We're called Great Commission Baptists. But what we're doing is we're learning about all these different traditions of the Christian faith, not just that are present today, but present throughout history. And I think it's really helpful for us. This isn't like a buffet where it's like, okay, I'm going to randomly, one week, I like this part of the church, so I'm going to take that. And another week, maybe I'll like that. What we're hoping to do was kind of holistically incorporate all of these elements just into our daily life and the life of our church. And so if you remember, and I forgive you if you don't, we talked the first week, the character tradition. And so the character tradition, what do they do? They make space through self-denial to encounter the holiness of God. And there's something so incredible about that. And I really love the response we had that week. The next week we talked about the Catholic tradition. And what can we learn about them? Well, they really make space in the sacraments. We just partook in communion, and some of y'all were like, yeah, let's just get this over with, you know. But thankfully, his son's already won, so we don't have to rush to go see the game, amen. Um, but some of us are like, yeah, it's just another thing. Well, you know, uh, some Catholics, they say, you "No, know, this is a very special thing. They even believe the presence of Jesus is in this communion. And so we're to say, okay, let's make space in the sacraments. Let's encounter the presence of God. And then you have the compassion tradition, which is an incredible tradition. They make space in the city hall. They, they recognize the importance of encountering the justice of God in our community. And so there's a lot to learn from that tradition as well. Last week, we looked at the contemplative tradition. Remember, we talked about Sabbathing and, and kind of separating. And so they make space in the solitude to encounter the love of God. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the charismatic tradition. Okay, so we don't have chandeliers, so no swinging from chandeliers tonight. Uh, no jokes. Okay. No, no laughter. Dad joke. Okay. There it is. Uh, and so we're going to be learning about the charismatic tradition. There's a lot culturally there that some of us are terrified of. Others of us, you know, I like to call myself Baptocostal. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to be learning from the charismatic tradition tonight. And let me just say, none of these are comprehensive. I'm by no means saying each and every week, we just have them all covered. I'm just saying, I'm looking at those traditions and thinking there's a lot of weird stuff. There's a lot of great stuff in all of us. So here are like the two principles I would say will be good for our church, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. In James chapter 5, we actually have the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this letter, and he is actually, a lot of times like Paul, when he writes letters, he writes letters to the church. James is a lot more general. He's just saying, I got a message for everybody, and what's unique about James is you can really tell as you look at chapters 1 through 5, he really incorporates two, two key concepts. He incorporates a lot of the book of Proverbs A lot of people say James is the uh, New Testament Proverbs, but also he incorporates a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, which is incredible because can you imagine James, his half-brother is Jesus. He spent life with Jesus. And so he's, he's seen Jesus live it out, this Jesus life that obviously we named it after him. And so now in James, it's okay. I'm, I'm writing to all Christians in all times and all spaces saying, you need to live out the implications of the resurrection. Because Jesus rose again, everything is different. We have to act and respond differently because of it. So let's begin in verse 13. We'll kind of go line by line together as a family. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? And I want to ask that question tonight. Those who are in the audience tonight, who are you suffering? What does suffering mean? It means all sorts of affliction, all sorts of trials, something happening to you or around you. And so I would say, uh, he says, what do we do? The answer is he should or she should pray. Baptists, we take this suffering, we say pray, and it's a really good thing. We say, okay, what do we need to pray for? We need to pray for perseverance. Pray that we can persevere in the middle of this trial, in the middle of the suffering, whatever that is, push through. Jesus is with you. He has gone before you. Yes and amen. But what's great about Pentecostals, Charismatics, is they go beyond that. They say, okay, let's pray for perseverance, sure. But let's also pray, if you're suffering, for deliverance. What if God can just take this problem out of your life entirely? What if you don't need the perseverance to get through it? What if you need to ask for God's deliverance? That's how we're going to kind of learn tonight. And is anyone cheerful? And I say yes, because the Suns won game one without CP3, you know what I'm saying? But I really do take the Sun seriously. Uh, is any of you cheerful? What should we do? He should sing praises. Again, charismatic tradition... Most of the great bands that you know of today, they are from a charismatic stream. They're just really good at singing songs, okay? I think we have an incredible band. We're great at singing songs as well. This is happy of heart. Do you know it's okay to be happy sometimes, amen? It's okay. You don't have to feel bad and always kind of down. It's good to say God has been good to me. He has gone before me. I feel delivered, and I'm going to let everybody know about it. So sing praise because of that. But verse 14, is anyone among you sick? I think we can understand sickness, right? This is any kind of physical illness. People also say it could be mental illness, but this is just sick. And something I'm really honestly um, really thinking about is many of us were sick for a week or so, but what's so hard is those who are chronically sick. You know, there's a way of, of going through issues, but for the people who just can never get a break who constantly feel that illness, who constantly feel the presence of something not going well in their bodies. I think this is such an encouraging word for you, if that's you in the room. What should you do if you're sick? He or she should call for the elders of the church. Elder simply means pastor. Okay, so in our congregation, it's Pastor Trey, that's me, and Pastor Caleb, right? Call the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, commentators say, why oil? There's two possible reasons. Number one, some people, probably not charismatics, they translate this to say, oil is medicine. Have you ever met an essential oil person? It's medicine, right? You know what I'm saying? It'll fix everything. It's like the whole Windex thing with my big fat Greek wedding. Just put some Windex on it, it'll fix it. And honestly, I mean, I'm kind of a believer in essential oils too, it helps me a lot. So this is not a slam on them. But you know, some people say oils will fix everything. So maybe James is saying here, Hey, this is medicinal. Put oil on them. It's going to make them feel better. And that's also for us contextually, we can say, you know what? That could be partially true. And it's helpful for us to remember, God allows us to go to the doctor. Some faiths say don't go to the hospital. That's a lack of faith. Just believe. And I think that's where the charismatic tradition often goes wrong. Saying if you're a person of faith, you shouldn't go to the doctor. Just God will heal you. And maybe God gave you a doctor for a reason. So use medicine. You know, of course, in the right context and make sure it's prescribed by a good doctor and all those sorts of things. I don't want to get sued. But the second reason why people say to use oil, the commentators say, it's, it's a spiritual thing. It spiritually sets the person apart for a special act of God. And so some argue that this anointing ended with the apostles. So when the last apostle, which is John, when he passed away, this was no longer powerful. I don't believe that. That's called being a cessationist. I would say I'm a continuous, which is the charismatic tradition as well. Many Baptist brothers and sisters are continuous as well. It's this physical representation of a spiritual reality that God still heals. God still works in history today. And I think if we had time, we can go around. We all have stories of God miraculously bringing people through. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Verse 15, the prayer of faith. Underline that phrase. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's important for us to remember sometimes we are sick because of our sin. We see that with King David. He said he's rotting within his bones. Psalm 51. Why? Because he had unconfessed sin. And I want to say tonight is the perfect opportunity to confess your sin to Jesus. You can take a thousand steps away from God. It only takes one to come back. Always come before the Lord. You don't have to perform. You don't have to prove anything. The prodigal son tried to say, I'll do better. He's saying, no, you just came back. I'm going to hug you and love you and throw a celebration. That's what God wants to do for you tonight. But I also believe, look, save the sick person. I think this is saying we will save you physically, but also spiritually. You can be healed from the inside out. And a lot of times what's happening spiritually manifests itself physically. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I'm asking as a pastor, how can we as a congregation do that on a regular basis? Look, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And I believe because of the gospel, if you are a believer in Jesus and you have confessed your sin, you are a righteous person because Christ is righteous in your place. This is a very powerful reality. Confession is the key to healing. Verse 17, James gives us an example. Elijah was a man, uh, was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Feels like Arizona right now, right? Right. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. We're going to kind of come back to that at the end of tonight's message. But I want us to look at, as a faith family, for the next few moments, what are some obstacles? How do we really practice this charismatic tradition in a Baptist way, if that's what you want to do? But let's pray, and we'll begin. Father God, we love you, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to gather. I just love the fact that we have families uh, spending time together this weekend, enjoying each other's company. God, thank you that you have blessed our church with so many incredible fathers. And thank you that you have blessed our church with the greatest father. And God, we love you. And you're our heavenly father and we worship you. And I just pray that you be present among us tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody says, Amen. amen. What is the charismatic tradition? I'm glad you asked. Write this down. The charismatic tradition, what do they do? They make space in the sanctuary. This is where we're at now to encounter the power of God. You spend any length of time around a charismatic, and they're always talking about the power of God. What is charismatic? I would argue every single Christian, by definition, is charismatic. Why? Charismatic, it's from the Greek word charismata, which literally just means gifts of grace. So if you're a believer in King Jesus, you have received the gifts of grace. So a charismatic is one who operates in the gifts of the Spirit. So you believe in Jesus, we believe at the moment of conversion. You have gifts from the Spirit, and it's used to bless your family, bless your church, and bless your community. So charismatics really hone in on this. There's so many key things in the Bible. It's hard to like be like, I'm this guy about that, you know? And so for me, I've always wondered: like, how, how can you pencil me in? I'd say the last couple of years it's spiritual formation. Before that, it's just all theology. There's all sorts of things. Charismatics are always talking about the Holy Spirit. And and his gifts. By the way, I said Holy Spirit's a person, amen. He is a he, not an it. A lot of non-charismatics call the Holy Spirit an it. What about the tradition? There's a lot here. Let me just zero back on the last 100 years. Anybody ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? great. So, uh, so as uh, Asusa, so I went to California Baptist University, the greatest university on the planet, just in case you haven't known, but I still owe them money, so they're not that great anymore. But um, my rival, my rival, our college rival was Azusa Pacific University. So even like, I'm not going to lie, as I read about Azusa Street Revival, I have like this terrible spirit within me that I just don't like it. It's that much ingrained in my soul. For ASU fans, it's like something great happened at U of A, and I know you're thinking there's no way, and I know, right? So You have a Sousa Street Revival. William Seymour, he began this revival, the Holy Spirit did, but through him on April 9th, 1906. And here's the crazy thing. Because Baptists, we got Billy Graham on our side, right? I mean, there's revival after revival. This one, our revivals would last like six days, right? This one, guess how long it lasted? Nine years, until 1915, people were going to Azusa Street almost every day, and incredible things were happening. Here's the thing that happened a lot of Baptists go Ugh, about. A lot of people were speaking in tongues. There were a lot of healings, and it really stirred the city. It actually was a huge impetus for racial reconciliation, but it got crazy. People were falling down. People were getting baptized everywhere. But here's what they kept proclaiming. We are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's when you know you're dealing with the charismatic, because they say the Holy Ghost. I got a friend, Jason Mayfield. He never says Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Okay, And so that's what charismatics do. A M- little more information about this tradition. Harvey Cox, he wrote a book um, kind of trying to detail. Uh, let me say this, too. Charismatics, there's a, there's a million, just like Baptists. Can, can I just clear that up real quick? There's a lot of Baptists that are not us. Amen. Praise God. I mean, one of them being Westboro Baptists, that ain't our family at all. We are not like them at all. Well, there's a bunch of different Charismatics. One that I've really enjoyed and benefited from are Pentecostals. So, Pentecostals, that really began in the early 1900s. And here's, Harvey Cox said, here's three things. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down if you'd like. Three kind of key identifiers of what makes Pentecostals Pentecostal. Number one, he says primal speech. What does that mean? To be at a Pentecostal charismatic church, they speak in tongues. And for them, it's a language of the heart. And I haven't been there, I have never spoken in tongues. I tend to believe this is more an evangelism tool, but there are friends after friends that I have, they say it is a tool for me to utter my prayers to God in ways I don't know what to say, and so the Spirit says it to, through me, which I can see that in Romans 8. And so Pentecostals very much believe it's a gift, you can't manufacture it, but you begin to speak in tongues, which means it's kind of, in, you don't understand what's happening, but then there's an interpreter, and you can hear it. So, Baptist joke is one way people say tongues is, Bada Honda, shoulda Bada Yamaha, okay? That's that's one way you'll get that at dinner. Primal piety is the second. What does that mean? I'm going to make this quick. So primal speech, primal piety. Charismatics, they believe in visions and dreams. And as Baptists, we think if it's not in here, we're not going to, we're not going to entertain it. But but for Pentecostals, and there's something to it, God. they really believe God speaks to us still today through visions and dreams. They also believe in mystical experiences, which makes some of us really uncomfortable. They also believe in dramatic physical demonstration. <laughs> My friend Jason, he, he said he had a charismatic friend that said a lady went to sit down. He said the only way I can describe it is is he, like, the chair just became invisible and just fell all the way to the ground and was stuck under a chair. And I'm like, you're so weird. What were you guys drinking in the communion? You know what I'm saying? But those are charismatics. Praise God for them. But they believe that God shows up in concrete ways. So the third thing, so primal speech, tongues, primal piety, they believe in visions and dreams and mystical experiences. But number three, primal hope. This is what's pretty incredible about charismatics. They believe the new world is about to dawn. It's not all doom and gloom. They're excited about the future. And I think all of us can use a little bit of that. Amen? So the charismatic tradition, they make space in the sanctuary to encounter the power of God. That's what makes charismatics unique. They actually believe God's going to do something in the worship hour. And I think that's why their music is actually really good because their expectations are really high. Look at this on your notes. I have on the screen. Here's a quote that is really helpful to understand how God uh, continues uh, to kind of use this tradition in a great way. In the development of the Protestant theology, the Reformed tradition has emphasized the activity of the Spirit in initiation, which is conversion. Okay? The Wesleyan tradition has subsequently emphasized the activity of the Spirit in holiness or sanctification. Okay, so Reformed people say, it's not you who believed in Jesus, Holy Spirit did it for you. Wesleyan character tradition type people say, the power of the Spirit in your life is just when you have these disciplines, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to continue to become more like Jesus. Well, the Pentecostal tradition, the charismatic tradition, they have finally emphasized the charismatic activity of the Spirit when? In worship and service. They just have high expectations that God is going to do an incredible thing here and now. I remember my first charismatic service I've ever been to. My dad's in the audience. I think he'll remember. There was several dances that were happening. I was terrified the AC was not on. It was very hot in there and they were dancing like behind and in front and to the side and I had this weird feeling where I simultaneously loved it and couldn't wait to leave. You know what I'm saying? Like at the very same time, this is one of the coolest experiences ever. When are we leaving? At the very same time, praise the Lord. And so we're going to learn about this. I do not want to make fun of charismatics. It's not my desire. This whole thing is to really learn from them. Is there something we as Baptists, and maybe some of you don't identify as Baptists either. I mean, even. But what are ways that we can incorporate a charismatic or walking in the gifts of the Spirit, a charismatic life? Okay, so I think... We'll be done. We're going to look at two obstacles that blocks us from encountering God's power today and two practices to help us with it. Write this down. Obstacle number one to the charismatic life in Christ. You may never see the hand of God if you want to keep command of God. See, many of us are terrified of charismatics because they appear out of control And sometimes they are because in the flesh, they're just trying to manifest something great. They're trying to prove that God is among them. But other times the spirit does show up and it gets a little bit crazy. And so it's hard for us because a lot of us, our whole problem is a control problem. So we love God as long as he does exactly what we want. Charismatic traditions recognize this. Okay, for God to move. I have to be grateful and expecting, God, you just do whatever you want. Even if it makes me look like a fool, I'm here for it. You know better than me. This is why tongues is difficult for a lot of us. 1 Corinthians 14, I told myself I will not do a whole sermon today on tongues. I think it will get us a little bit distracted. But you do see in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says there has to be an interpreter. So there has to be a sense of control in the environment of the service. But at the same time, it is a bit out of your control because you don't know when the Spirit will speak. And the other part is you don't know how long the Spirit will speak. And especially for us in today's American culture, service has to start at at 5 and end at 6, and we freak out when that doesn't happen, right? Tongues kind of throws off the service. Isn't that okay? Can we just say, God, you can interrupt. We can stay an extra 15 minutes, okay, God? Not 30, but 15, amen, right? We need to be open to that. This is why healing, I think, is difficult for many of us. We're going to have a time during the last two songs. I'm going to ask, I have oil from Israel right now, anointing oil for those who want to receive healing. But guess what? There's a million things that could go wrong. One, none of you walk up. I'll look like a fool. Okay, anybody want to receive healing? And everybody stays in their seat. And I guess I like got say, praise God, nobody's sick. But a lot of us, we're scared because we can't control. I don't know if people will come. I don't know if people will get healed. I don't have that power. The Holy Spirit has it within me. I'm not sure. A lot of us, I think, God doesn't move in your life because you keep trying to explain his miracles away. God does something incredible and you go, oh, it's because I changed my diet. Or God heals that person in the hospital. Well, the doctor's finally figured out what to do. Well, God, what if just God showed up? I want to be where I give God credit always. Even if it, like, even if it was the doctor, I'm going to say, it was God. You know what I'm saying? But we have this control problem. You may never see the hand of God if you want to keep command of God. Allow God to command your life. Look at verse 15 in James 5. It says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Not just the prayer, which that's a good start, but the prayer of faith. What does that mean? I think a lot of us, if you've noticed this, a lot of us when we pray, all we're doing, Louis Giggle calls this informational prayers. We get so excited that we pray a long time, and all we've done is describe the situation. God, I love you. Okay, I'm here to pray for my wife. You know my wife, the one I met in junior high. Yeah, that wife. You know, like when I, when I met her, and then she didn't remember me, but I remembered her. This is a true story. And then I said, hey, girl, and she just kept walking. Remember that, God? Okay, and then God, when we met, and we just start explaining that person's life story, and we say, amen. Man, I'm, that was a good prayer. You didn't pray for anything. You just described everything. And in prayer of faith, God, you know who my wife is. I'm going to skip that whole part. Here's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for something in the future. I am pleading for the best result. And a lot of us, when we pray, and I'm guilty of this too, I pray for healing. But then I say, but if it's your will, God, and this person dies, we're going to be okay with that. And if it's your will and this person gets ran over, we're going to be okay with that. Just say, God, heal him. And if it's wrong, it's not your fault. God's in control, not you. Just say, okay, this is what I asked for. A lot of us, I think, we try to cover all of our bases. You don't have to. Just pray for the best result. Here's a key to a prayer of faith. Again, this is not on your notes, but you can write this down. Don't pray like you're in control, but pray like you're under authority. Don't pray like you're in control. You're not. You have no idea what's going to happen, but you are under authority. You know something great can happen because the God who is in you and is working through you. We have to hurry. Practice number one, predetermine to practice the promptings of God. Predetermine. When I played baseball, we'd always yell, okay, he's on first. We have to throw to second. You plan ahead, right? That way when the ball gets hit, you immediately do what you, you don't have to think about it. You and I, we have to predetermine, God, when you bring me a prompting, I will do it. We have to remember this. Acts, all throughout Acts, you see the Spirit. He tells them to go somewhere, and also he tells them not to go somewhere. Acts 16, 7. After they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. What does that look like? I don't know. But they knew within their spirit, the Spirit of God was saying, don't. There are times in your life where the Spirit stops you from something, and there will be times in your life where the Spirit leads you into something. We have to be attuned to both. We've all experienced this, right? We try to force buying that vehicle, Winds up costing you a lot of money. You ignore God when He warns you about that relationship, but you don't do it. You keep going forward. God tells you to change jobs, but you just keep holding back. Right? The Holy Spirit leads you to do it. You have to do it. Charismatics are really good at this. I went to the Virgin Islands when I was 16. For those of you in theology of the gospel, you've already heard this story. Please just hear it again. I hate this story, to be honest. I was a 16-year-old, we're on a mission trip, 10 days in the Virgin Islands, and I know when we think Virgin Islands, it's beautiful and amazing. But we were in the projects. People were homeless. Gang culture was just crazy. And so we played basketball. I played basketball. Everybody else played with the kids. So they did like kickball and stuff. But I played with all the high school, college guys. And we played basketball outside. And I remember the Holy Spirit just very directly saying, share the gospel to these two people. Just two. There was like 20 guys out there, just two of them. And I could tell they were the leaders. And I kept thinking, God, this is my first night. I'm here 10 days. I haven't even shown them my spin move yet. Just wait, God. You know, just wait till I shoot with my left hand. Then I will. And so I was coming up with all these excuses. I got really timid and I didn't share the gospel. That night we were at a, this was the first night. It was so humid. We were so tired. We heard gunshots and they're like, this happens every single night. Just go to bed. A few months later, after we got home, finally my, past, my youth pastor came up to me and said, I just feel like I need to tell you this because I think God is going to use this story in your life. Remember that night? When you heard those two gunshots, that was, and he named those two people that God told me to share the gospel to. He said, they died that night. hate that story. I hate that that's a reality. And I, my belief in the sovereignty of God, I'm praying another Christian came in their path and shared the gospel to them before it was too late. But I remember saying from that day forward, God, when you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. I don't want anybody's blood in my hands. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. See, the charismatic life knows that interruptions are invitations. When God interrupts and stops it, we say, okay, Holy Spirit, I trust you. When God interrupts and says, do it now, okay, God, I will do it. I will trust you. We need to put that into practice. So obstacle number two to the charismatic life in Christ, write this down. You will block the Holy Spirit if you walk with a hopeless spirit. Luke chapter 11. This one, I have to admit, is very hard for me to understand. But I think the scriptures are pretty clear here. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is all in the context of prayer. It says, For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Even right there, we have to see, you cannot ignore, there is a correlation between God acting and us asking. There is a direct correlation here. You look at revival throughout history. It always happened because of a prayer meeting. Always. It's always because people asked for it. For some reason, it's kind of cool and kind of frustrating. God decides to change the future when we ask for it. But if we don't ask for it, often he doesn't do it. This is reality. Now, I believe some charismatics take this too far. They find somebody who's sick, and they say, well, did you pray? Oh, you must not have faith, because if you had faith, you would have been healed. And I would say, no, no, no. I think God sovereignly allows people to suffer. I think you can have all the right faith, and you can still have an illness, but God will use that illness in incredible ways. Guess what? We're all going to die. So something, obviously, there will be a time where your prayer maybe isn't answered, Right? So we can be faithful in the midst of suffering. That's a powerful testimony. But at the same time, there may be people in this room who are sick simply because they haven't asked God to heal them. That's so hard for me to balance, but I think we have to do that. We have not because we ask not. One charismatic friend, pastor of mine, he says, imagine heaven having a conveyor belt. And on it, there's treasure awaiting to be given to us. He says, every time we pray, that conveyor belt moves a little bit more. He says, I wonder how many times in your life, how many conveyor belts are halfway there and you stopped asking? If you just kept asking and pleading, and you see that in the context of verse five through eight, those who just keep knocking, eventually the door will be opened. How many of us have not received the treasure from heaven because we stopped the conveyor belt simply too soon? This is hard for Baptists to to really take in. We just say, well, God's sovereign sovereign. God will do what only he can do, and that's true. But he does it in a way where we have to ask him. Verse 11, happy Father's Day. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I don't know if you saw in the front row, Faith freaked out when she heard that, because we've had scorpions in our house this week. And I said, darling, you want me to not give you an egg next time and just give you a scorpion? She says, please, no. (laughs) I just love that. It's great. If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. And so, of course, the dad's not going to do that. Don't worry, I told her that. I said, I'm a good dad. I wouldn't do that to you. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Notice, so, so what do we need most? It's actually the Holy Spirit. That God will give you the Holy Spirit. But I love this. You know, a good father would never give a bad gift. And look, God is so honored when we ask him for great things because it shows We know how good and powerful God is, and we're willing to ask the moon, and we know that God has the ability to give it. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of love, and I love that, and this is practice number two alongside of that. Look, remember your anointing when life gets disappointing. This may be what I love most about the charismatic tradition. They constantly come back to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Even though life is disappointing now, do not forget your anointing. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the land. But then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. This story you see in 1 Kings 18 Elijah just did an incredible thing where he brought fire down from heaven, and that was incredible. And now he says, okay, you think it's cool that I brought fire, that God brought fire down? Now we're going to ask for God to bring rain down. So he declares the favor of God. He sends his servant. Again, I love it how he says he's just a human being, just an ordinary man, some translations say. Remember the story? He sends his servant to go check for rain. Servant keeps coming back. There's nothing. I don't see rain. And Elijah says, well, I am remember my anointing, even when life is disappointing. Guess what? I know there's going to be rain, so go back. Another time, another time. Six times, went back and said, Elijah, there's no rain. There's not a single cloud in the sky. And he kept saying, go back. The seventh time, it says in the scriptures, there was a cloud as small as a man's hand. And they said, get ready because the flood is coming that's what happened. The rain started falling. See, Elijah remembered his anointing, even when the circumstances were disappointing. And I just want to challenge you tonight. You and I, we are children of God. And I think every single Christian says, God can deliver me. But I think we can learn from our charismatic brothers and sisters and learn, okay, we need to be more willing to say, God can deliver me, and God will deliver me. And I'm going to trust him. Because I'm not going to underestimate the power of God's anointing. If he brought you to it, charismatics say, he will bring you through it. Amen. God works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Ephesians 1.3 says, if you're a believer in God, in Christ, you are sealed and filled by the Holy Spirit. So as we close, I want us to really put this to practice. I want us to, number one, practice the prompting of God. If God is prompting you to come forward to receive prayer, I pray that you would say, "Okay, God, I'm going to listen to this prompting." And number 2, I want us to remember our anointing. The prayer of a righteous person, this anointing from God is powerful in its effect. So let us instead of just being hearers of the word deceiving ourselves, let us be doers. So, there's three categories of people tonight. Number 1, we see in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? So I want you to think that through. If you are suffering, we would love to pray with you. I encourage you to pray at your seat. If you are cheerful, sing your heart out these next two songs to the glory of God. But if you're sick, I'm not going to lie. I, As a Baptist, I'm like, I don't know what's about to happen. That's right where God wants us to be at times. I would love for you to come forward. I have this anointing oil. I love to pray a power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Pastor Billy's here. We get a line. I'll have him come up as well to help pray, to anoint you with oil. But here's three fundamental truths that I think charismatics are so good at. And I think you and I as a church, we must get good at this. And we remember this when we're sick. We remember this when we're suffering. We remember this when we're cheerful. Number one, God is here. When we pray, have you ever heard that phrase, man, my, my, my prayer didn't get past the ceiling? That's okay, because God is under the ceiling. He is here. He is in me. He is, when we pray, God, I pray that you'd be here. He's like, I'm right here, bro. You don't need to pray for that. Pray for something else, because I'm already present. God is here. Jesus, it says, our Father, who art in heaven. Other scriptures say, our Father, who's in the heavens. In other words, our Father, who is in the air that we breathe, it's not just heaven, heaven, but in all the air, God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Friends, we can take encouragement that number one, God is here when we pray, when we are cheerful, when we ask for his healing. But number two, this is so important, God is able. We have to believe that. He is not limited like you and me. Nothing is too hard for God, He is able. And he's able to heal you. He's able to help you financially. He's able, and this is where a lot of people are like, oh, charismatics, you go way too far. You want all these earthly possessions. But sometimes God does that. God is able. I don't know. Maybe that's God's plan for your life. But he can. My brother Jason Mayfield said, and you need to start saying he will. And Jason said, you know what's wrong with you, Trey. You don't even put timetables out. He says, I say, God, I'm asking for this, and I'm asking for it this week. Why? He can. And he said, God tends to work with timelines. And I thought that was good. Other times he doesn't. But what if we ask? But this is the third thing, so important. God is good. He's here. He's able. But do not forget, friends, he is a good God. First John 1:5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. There's absolutely no darkness in him. He can be trusted. God is not indifferent towards you. He may just be doing something different for you. But no matter what is happening in your life, God is doing it for your good and for his glory. So we can rest in that. And we can pray the biggest prayers we think possible. And we can ask for the greatest miracles. But we can know and rest assured, God, I'm laying it all out but I'm not in control. What I do know as I request these things, you are here, you are able, and you are good. Let us enter into this holy moment. Let's make space right now in the sanctuary to encounter the power of God.